Hello all, this is On The Left Side, the alternative football show. And I'm Jim. You can join the On The Left Side team now by subscribing to this podcast. That way you get it first and free every single Monday. Just hit subscribe however you listen. And whilst you join our team, we have bad news this week that John Terry will be leaving the team that he's been with for 22 years. I've no idea what the big man will do next. He says he's got plenty more to offer football, but he may yet decide just to pack it all in and spend more time with the wife. We just don't know whose wife yet. I'm sure that after such a long time, he won't be able to completely walk away from the club that he loves. And I fully expect to see John Terry turning up at any trophy presentations Chelsea may have in full kit for the next 30 years or so. Right, what's coming up on this week's show? A legend falls at Barcelona. And a lesson in taste and decency from Twitter. But first, been a weird old week for Birmingham City. I glanced at the trending topics on Twitter on Tuesday morning and thought for a brief moment that Harry Redknapp was trying to become the next British Prime Minister with a snap general election. He wasn't. But the reality for Birmingham City fans was much, much worse. Clearly, having seen Tony Adams appointed the boss of Spanish side Granada in midweek, our Ari decided that this was the age of the proper football man. And so when Gianfranco Zola resigned from Birmingham City, he saw this as his chance to get back into football management. On the topic of Zola's departure, here is a crazy statistic for you. In the last 12 months, the current bottom five clubs in the championship have had 15 permanent managers. That's more changes of gaffer than Wayne Rooney has had hot dinners. And judging by recent photos of the injured striker, that's quite a lot. (coughs) So why would Redknapp want to take the job at Birmingham City? It's obvious, isn't it? What does a proper football man really want in his football team? Birmingham is a proper football club, eh? Of course. A proper football man needs a proper football club. And by proper, I mean, of course, a club that inexplicably sacked a successful and popular manager who is competing for a playoff place in order to appoint a celebrity boss who wasn't really up to the job because his owners are more interested in high-profile names than actual success on the pitch. A tenure that resulted in just two wins in 24 games and the club just three points above the relegation zone. You know that definition of proper. But it's not all about being a proper football club. Surely for market trader come football manager Ari Redknapp, there was going to be a massive paycheck involved. It wasn't a money deal for me. I just shook hands with them and said, yeah, I'll do it. No problem. That statement led to rumours that Redknapp had signed up to the gig for nothing. Zip! Nada! Which, given his recent record with the HMRC, a paycheck of zero pounds and zero pence, roughly, after tax and deductions and expenses, works out at about 2.3 million pounds a year. It's also worth remembering that the phrase, I'm not doing it for the money, doesn't mean the same as, I'm not getting any money at all. But the rumours are, if Harry does keep Birmingham in the Championship, there is every chance he could get a nice, big, juicy contract to stay in the Midlands beyond the end of the season. News which I'm sure has the likes of Nico Cranchar, Peter Crouch and Jermaine Defoe searching Birmingham houses for sale on right move as we speak. Another player that I put good money on joining the Red Nap Revolution is that man JT, on his way out of Chelsea and looking for a new gig. But why John Terry? just take a look at a choice selection of newspaper stories taken from the last 12 months and you'd be forgiven for thinking that Tezza and Ari are having an illicit affair. Something we already know John is pretty keen on. 
In February 2016, The Telegraph printed, Redknapp, John Terry can solve Manchester City's defensive crisis. The same month, The Daily Star printed a Redknapp exclusive reading, West Ham need to sign John Terry. In July's Evening Standard, Big Sam should bring John Terry out of international retirement. On Talk Sport in December, Redknapp said, John Terry would keep Swansea in the Premier League. And later that month, he chatted to Metro and claimed, Terry would win Premier League for Arsenal. Finally, last month, very simply in his column for The Sun, he suggested Arsenal should sign John Terry. Either Redknapp has some kind of financial split with Terry's agent, has a few quid on the defender leaving Chelsea but staying in England with the bookies, or is the type of manager who thinks passion and being a good, honest footballer is what makes you a top, 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 player. Or with it being Redknapp, it's probably all three. Whilst most of the football community would probably pick Harry Styles over Harry Redknapp for a managerial post, if there is one footballing mouthpiece that has been outspoken in his criticism of those funny foreign lot with their weird voices, strange coded languages and lack of experience of the English Football League, then it's Paul Merson. He must be loving that there is finally a football manager who can talk the language of the game in a way that the common man can understand even if that is through an open car window on his way into the club's training ground. But exactly how good does Merson think our Harry is? People go, oh, Harry Redknapp, uh, Wheeler and Dealer. He was much better tactically than Arsene Wenger when I played under Arsene Wenger for just under a year. Better tactically than Wenger. Given recent form, that's not really something to shout about, is it? Hillary Clinton's campaign manager was tactically better than Wenger, my four-year-old playing chess is tactically better than Arsene Wenger. Even one of those James Bond bad guys who inexplicably insists on explaining his entire plan to the hero before leaving him in whatever flimsy and easily escapable trap he's created is tactically better than Arsene Wenger. Still, Red Nap better than Arsene Wenger? That is a bit of a stretch. Given the way that Leicester City fans behaved on their away trip to Atletico Madrid last week, you would have forgiven the Spanish fans visiting Leicester in the Champions League this week to go on a bit of a riot through the city centre, potentially causing millions of pounds of improvements. But they didn't. Instead, Atletico Madrid were more than happy just to destroy the Foxes' hopes and dreams instead. The pair met in the Champions League and the Madrid team put in a professional display, instantly dismissing those theories that they would be intimidated by the hostile away atmosphere at the King Power Stadium. Because I doubt the Atletico players were neither afraid of free donuts or those little cardboard clapper things you get under your seat, it wasn't that much of a surprise that they weren't intimidated. The game finished 1-1, with Jamie Vardy becoming the first English player to score in a Champions League quarter-final for five years. Well, you know us English types. We ain't going to Europe unless you can get Tesco bacon, Heinz baked beans and a proper brew like you get back home. That said, I've always seen Vardy as the type to take two weeks holiday in Mallorca, only to spend every night in the local Irish bar getting ready to bang anyone who chats shit. But maybe the England striker is one of those Euro lovers that manager Craig Shakespeare was talking about in his post-match interview. The Champion League is the highest level. They're very disappointed in there, but ultimately 
they want some more of it. I'm sure they do. And that is exactly why most of them will be leaving Leicester in the summer. Bye-bye. I know it's hard to imagine, but this week's Champions League draw did throw up a slightly more glamorous tie than a trip to the East Midlands, when Lionel Messi's Barcelona took on the old lady of football Juventus, attempting to overthrow a massive three-goal deficit. This was Messi's time to shine. This was his time to prove that he is the world's greatest footballer above Ronaldo and that he can perform under pressure on the big stage. But instead, he fell on his face. In the first half, Messi leaped to meet a header and lent into Juve midfielder Morale Pjanic and hit the deck, face first, with the exact level of style and grace that a drunk brick has, prompting at six lakh to tweet... I'm sure this brings flashbacks to Messi when he first landed on Earth. That was pretty much the only reference of the night to the little Argentinian's godlike status, with most speculation suggesting, once again, that the five-time Ballon d'Or winner was washed up. Come on. One bad game doesn't mean you're done for. If that was the case, then Wayne Rooney would... Oh, never mind. The nil-nil draw saw Juve go through with Gianluigi Buffon being heralded for having never conceded a goal against Messi in his career. Mind you, neither have I. Don't hear me going on about it. Barcelona went out, but maybe the little magician was cheered up this week by the announcement from Twitter that they were releasing their very own Paul Pogba-esque emojis for this weekend's El Clasico. If you type in the hashtag Messi, you get a little picture of Messi. Hashtag Cristiano, you get a picture of Ronnie. And hashtag Suarez, you get a massive set of teeth. No, not really. You get a little cartoon of the former Liverpool man. I like this, and I really hope it catches on and we see more of it in 2017. I want to see more players with personalised emojis for big games. In fact, why not have it for every team, for every player, and for every game? Type in hashtag Wenger and you get an angry little face of a man in an Arsenal shirt. Hashtag Sturridge, you get a miniature pair of crutches. And hashtag Sunderland, well, there, there's no work to do there. You could use an emoji that already exists. That little picture of the tiny smiling turd. There was sad news for the game this week as Tottenham announced the untimely death of former England defender Ugo Ekio. The Spurs under-23 coach passed away at the age of 44 after suffering a cardiac arrest at the club's training ground. On the left side, we'd like to offer our condolences to his friends and family. But as the last 12 months has taught us, every celebrity death must be greeted with an online torrent of news and opinion, and Echios passing was no different. Each and every media outlet was seeking to find a new way to reflect the news, and the ball was bound to be dropped by someone at some point. And that someone was the BBC. Someone at Auntie decided in their wisdom that the best way to mark the passing of the former Middlesbrough and Villa man was this tweet. Well, just look at Hugo Ekiog's stats on Championship Manager. What a career he had. Followed by a screen grab of 22-year-old Ekiog's ratings on Championship Manager for speed, strength, jumping and all that kind of stuff. Surely nothing tells you more about the character of a person and their achievements by reducing their physical attributes to numerical terms, right? How did anyone think that was a good idea? I can just imagine the planning meeting now. So guys, how do we pay tribute to Hugo Ekiag on our social media channels? I mean, there's so much. We could talk to the teammates who say he was a father figure. 
take some of his best moments from his career with Villa and Borough. We could even relive his famous Saul England goal. Or we could forget all that and instead remember him with a fictional representation from a computer game, reducing him to no more than a two-dimensional character. I love it. It beggars belief. You may as well have honoured his passing by posting up his high score on Sonic the Hedgehog. A far more fitting tribute was paid by friend and colleague Paul Merson on Sky Sports News. You know what? Billy Joel sings about the song. Only the good die young. And that is him. He was top player, top bloke. And a good friend as well. And, you know, I just it goes out for his family and everything. We take the mick out of Merson a lot. We've done it on this podcast, but that's actually pretty touching. Clearly, he meant a lot to Paul, and it kind of helps us understand what he really was. He wasn't a character on a computer game. He wasn't even a footballer. He was a person, and a decent one at that. That feeling is only strengthened when you look at Ugo's final ever tweet. That went viral after his death, and it read, gave a homeless girl 10 pounds last night in Dalston. She didn't ask or beg. Random impulsive act from me. Felt good. Hashtag do something kind. Nice. It's the kind of thing that most of us would like to have as our last acts on social media. I'd certainly like something like that if I was to walk out of this studio right now and get hit by a bus. In fact, I wonder what my last tweet would be. Let's, let's have a look. Uh, at Mr. Jim Bob. Just finished another podcast. Slagging of loads of rich tossers. Now going for a poo. Mega lols. For fuck's sake. That's your lot. Another episode of Football Funny is done. Thank you for coming. If you enjoyed the show, then please drop us a review in the very same place that you listen to this show. And tell your friends. Right, I'm off to write something a bit funnier on Twitter, because that's full time. See ya! On the left side is written and produced by Anne McGinley and Jim Salverson. But it'd be even better if John Terry joined the team. Three.